So, what are we looking at? Well, we're looking at chapter 2, and I want to start by beginning a little story. This summer, my wife Laura and I took our three kids. We have twins that are five and a baby that's two and a half-ish. And we went to the beautiful state of Colorado for sort of our first Colorado trip. And we were in southern Colorado, and uh, we decided what we were going to do was we were going to go. We got there day one, and we were going to go for a hike. And uh, we didn't really think this out in a couple of ways. Um, but one of the things that we did was we, we, saw, we said, you know what, uh, we're going to go to a waterfall because we've heard it's beautiful. And so we got on the, you know, what we did was is we, we found out where we wanted to go, and then we found the path that we wanted to take to it. The problem was, was the path was fine for us. It was like three miles in, but, you know, if you hike in, you got to hike out too. And I will tell you, if you're ever wondering if two five-year-olds can make it six miles round trip without having any prep, at 10,000 feet, the answer is a resounding no. So alas, there was no waterfall to be had or to be seen that day. We, walk, we walked about a mile in and a mile out. But anyways, that's what happens when you have kids. Here's what I wanted to begin to, to show you why I tell you that. When we, when we went to the, when we were hiking that day, we said, here's where we want to go and we need to find the path to it. And I think that's entirely instructive to us tonight because what we're going to see is that wisdom itself is a lot like is a lot like what we were doing hiking for a waterfall that day. That we were walking a path. That we were uh, trying to find our way to something. We knew where we wanted to go. And we knew that there was a trek, as it were, a way to get there. Now, the idea of walking and the idea of walking a path, especially is something that we see as a metaphor or, a, or a, a thought category that the Bible uses over and over again. You see it in the Old Testament in places like Psalm 1. You see it in the New Testament in places like Colossians 4, where Paul writes to the church in Colossae, walk in wisdom in the way that you walk towards outsiders. So the image there of walking in wisdom is very, very important. But my point that I want you to begin to see tonight is that we want to learn this question. How can we become wise? Having taken up last week what wisdom is and why we need it, I'd like to spend some time in another introductory way talking about the topic of how one actually gets or gains wisdom or how we become wise. So that's what I would like to look at tonight. So um, the first thing, the first sort of main heading that I'm going to throw this under tonight, we're going to look at wisdom's path. Wisdom's path. The other two things are going to be wisdom's uh, paradox and wisdom's promise. So yeah, I alliterated again. I'm so, so sorry. When I run out of things to do, that's what I end up thinking about is how do I alliterate my points? It's horrible. Uh, Anyways, let's take a look at what I mean. Take a look with me at verse eight there. Did you catch it? That wisdom, that what's happening here, let me break it down first of all to kind of tell you this. In chapter two of Proverbs, this is all one sentence in Hebrew. It's all one elaborate sentence in the Hebrew. And really, it's basically a father, as it were, giving his instruction to his children, a son in this case. And he's saying, if you will get wisdom, these things will happen. So it's a if P, then Q sort of scenario. Okay, the if is if you get wisdom, then these things will happen in your life. So the very first thing that I want you to notice is that wisdom comes to us as a path, as it were. And what do I mean? We'll take a look at verse eight. He says this. That, that wisdom or the instruction that you gain will guard the paths of injustice. And then in verse 11, we see this, that discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, 
delivering you from the way. That's that's another that's that's a trek trekking language, the way of evil. And that pops up again in verse 13 for those who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness. You begin to see this again and again in this passage, language of ways and language of paths. Now, why does the writer do this? Because I think he's telling us something. What do paths do? What was, the, what, was, what, was, what was the path doing that day we were on the waterfall? It was directing us. It was taking us to the waterfall. And I think that's very important because what this is saying is, is that life itself is likened to a path. Because as paths take you somewhere, ready? As you walk, it takes you somewhere. This is so critical, y'all. That life itself lived out. Life in the living is actually taking you somewhere. I want to explain what I mean by that. But I want you to understand that life in the living is actually taking somewhere. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that what this is telling us is that, that the, the very things, the way that we live our lives is actually shaping us. It's actually changing us. It's actually forming us. Let me see if I can explain it just a little bit. Um, there was a writer, his name was Bruce Waltke, and he takes up the language of like, how, how does the book of Proverbs help us to orient our lives? And what he says is this, is that over and over again, the Proverbs talk about this is this, then this is this will happen. Or if you live like this, then this stuff will happen. And the point is, is that the writer of Hebrews is trying to show us how our choices are connected to our consequences. Now you might say, great, dude. I came on Wednesday night for nine o'clock to hear you tell me that. Uh, I think I learned that in like fourth grade or maybe even kindergarten. And you probably did. But here's the thing I would like to show you. The book of Proverbs is actually getting behind that question and saying, yeah, certainly the choices that you make affect the, the, out, the outcomes and the consequences of your life. But here's the question. Your character is actually what shapes the choices that you make. Now hear me out on this. So therefore, your character in life is actually what determines consequences or the orientation in your life. What does any of this have to do with path? What I'm trying to get is, is that the writer is showing us that wisdom itself is like a path where every day there are steps being made and we're constantly being formed. We're constantly being shaped into this. Now, I'm going to show a quote with you that I think will help illustrate this. It comes from one of my favorite writers, C.S. Lewis. It comes from his book, um, it comes from his book, The Amir Christianity. And Listen to what he says here. Is it up on the screen? Okay, great. I hope you can see it. People often think of Christian morality as a kind of bargain in which God says, if you keep a lot of rules, I'll reward you. And if you don't, do the, if you don't, if you don't I'll do the other thing. I do not think that that's the best way of looking at it, Lewis says. I would much rather say that every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that's in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that's in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures, and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, 
It is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us, at each moment, is progressing to the one state or the other. Let me unpack what Lewis is saying. He's saying that in each one of us, is a part of our constitution as human beings, how we're made, that we have a want-to apparatus. We have a desire apparatus in us, something that chooses the direction, the paths that we make in life. The Bible refers to that as the heart. It's the center of your wants. And what Lewis is saying, the very choices that we make day in and day out, that that want-to apparatus, that very central part of our being, is being shaped for future choices down the road. I talked to my brother, who's a financial advisor, and I asked him about dividends. When you make money off a stock, you're, made, you're giving a check. You're giving a check off of that stock. A lot of times what people will do is they'll take that dividend check and reinvest it in the, in the stock that they have just gotten money off of, and it continues to pay out. He would say, yeah, those are called invested dividend checks. You just put them right back into the stock. And here's what I want you to see with wisdom. Wisdom is a lot like that. The more wisdom that you gain and then you use, it's a reinvestment of wisdom. You're constantly getting more of it by the choices that you're making. So I've been pretty esoteric so far. Let me get real practical. I came back from the, the Christmas holidays with about five extra friendly pounds and uh, I was like, man, I just, I need to go to the gym. The problem is, if you've ever taken time off of the gym, what? You don't want to go to the gym, right? And so I, I found myself saying, man, I don't want to go to the gym, but I want to be the sort of person that what? Wants to go to the gym. But how in the world can I become a person that wants to go to the gym? I know what I'll do. I'll pull out my exercise app and look at it. That'll make me want to go to the gym. And you know what? It didn't. <laughs> I talked to my wife. Golly, I, I think I'm going to go to the gym today. I think it's going to be great. I'm going to go on a treadmill and walk. What happened? I did not go to the gym. Nothing can change me. Nothing can make me want to go to the gym except one thing. Do you know what it is? It's going to the gym. It's getting on the treadmill. And over time... Over time, we know what that's like if you've ever done it. Over time, three or four days in, a weekend, you begin to say, it's not so bad, I kind of actually want to go. Mm-hmm. And then if you're at it for three or four months, you go, man, I can't miss it. What I'm talking about physically with our bodies, Proverbs is trying to tell you that this is the way that you're shaped in your character. That over and over again, for the little choices that you make, that your life is being shaped. So here's the question. What sort of person, what sort of man or woman do you want to become? And the book of Proverbs is saying, are you on that path? Are you on that path? And if not, get off of the path that you're on. Because here's the way that you can tell the type of person that you're actually becoming. You simply look at the path that you're on. And you look at where it's headed. And friends, that's called wisdom. I belabor this point only to simply show you that unless you understand this, you're not going to understand a lot of what we're going to be talking about later on. It's your practices. 
So somebody says, so again, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna dr- to drill this in so that you see how this works. I asked my wife if I could share this with you. She said yes. And by the way, we're all good. This happens in marriage, so you need to be ready for it. You actually fight. You don't actually get along all the time. And tonight, when Laura and I were in an argument, uh, she, she, this is just what's in my own heart. Uh, she was asking me to help her with some things, and I just didn't want to do it because I had to get here and be holy and preach a sermon, right? That's what, that's what your campus minister is like. Uh, but I began to see something. It's like, gosh, I wish that I loved her enough to be able to do the things that she's asked me to do. And I began to think and mull over this sermon a little bit. I'm like, hey, Bozo, the way that you get to the place that you want to love her is you actually start loving her against the way that you feel in the moment. Y'all see what I'm getting at? And maybe this rings true for you. I don't care what, maybe it's, Maybe it's pursuing a certain end. Maybe it's justice or something like this. Or maybe it's, I'm looking for a fresh start in my Bible reading plans. I'm telling you, you won't want to do it. But the way to get to want to do it is what? Taking up the practice and being shown and being, that's what wisdom is telling us. Wisdom's path. Very, very practical. We're going to spend a lot more time talking about that this semester. Here's the second thing that I want to show you. Not only wisdom's path, I want to point out to you wisdom's paradox Did you catch it there? You see, what I want you to see is that if you get wisdom, then this is how your life goes. But the question is, is how do we actually get it? How do we actually get the wisdom that's being on display? And if you look at chapter 2, you see that wisdom is acquired paradoxically. Did you catch it? On the one hand, it's received. And at the same time, it's something that must be sought. Now, our minds really, we have a problem with this way of thinking and reconciling these things, but I want to show you how it's in the text. Look, look first with me about how it's given or how it's received. In verse 1, it says this, My son, if you receive my words and you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom. In other words, if you will but receive this wisdom. That's what he's saying. Look with me at verse 6 as well. What does it say? For the Lord, what? Gives wisdom. So it's received and it's given. And yet there's another side of this equation that appears to us as a paradox that wisdom is something that must be sought. Okay, look with me in verses 3 and 4 in particularly. Yes, if you call out for insight, if you raise your voice, that's a calling out like, Wisdom! Wisdom! Where are you? That's what the image is supposed to invoke in your mind. Verse 4, if you seek it like silver... Okay, so if you seek after it like riches and then again in verse four and search for it as hidden treasure, if you knew there was hidden treasure on a beach, you would be turning that beach up, seeking it out. You see, so it's both of these things together. And why is it telling us this? Well, it's telling us that wisdom must be both searched for and it is given. Here's what it's saying. It's saying that wisdom, while it comes from the, from God as a gift, it's not received automatically. You don't sit up in your bed one day. Or when you turn 18, that all of a sudden, wisdom gets downloaded into your character. It's not, as we like to talk about at our house a lot, we say this, it's not fairy godmother-esque. There is no bippity-boppity-boo for acquiring wisdom. It must be sought. And so to put it shortly, we would say this way, that wisdom is never bought, but it is always sought. It comes freely to those who would seek it, And the seeking is the way that it's received. An illustration perhaps to help you. 
You, got a, you went to the mailbox today after your last class and you received a sealed envelope. It looked really important, you thought, and you were right. Because as you opened it up, you noticed that a long-distant relative was an oil tycoon out in West Texas and gave to you upon his death $100 million in his will. It's actually sitting in the bank account downtown, and all you have to do is go down and get it. Now, the moment that that man, your distant relative, died, you became a millionaire 100 times over, just like that. And you became aware of the money that you have when you read the letter. However, at this point, you have not accessed the money. You still need to go down the bank to fill out the paperwork to demonstrate you are who you say you are and so on. And so here's the question. Did you do anything to earn that money? No. Question. Do you need to do anything to access that money? Yes, you most certainly do. The parallels are just the same with wisdom. Wisdom is a gift from God to you. It is one of the benefits that he gives to us. But you must work to access it. It must be sought. In fact, the parallels are greater because wisdom, as we learned last week from chapter 8, is better than all that you can desire. You have $100 million in the bank, but you have to go get it. The resources are there. You pay nothing for them. But the, but the means of acquiring them is to go to the bank. What does all this mean for us? I think it's telling us this. Proverbs is getting us to ask ourselves, will I actually seek this out? It's freely on offer, but it must be sought. So how do we actually go? How do we actually grow it in us? Well, take a look at some of these things that you'll see as you read through this. Verse 1 tells us, it reminds us that we need wise and skilled teachers in our lives. Humility is needed, but so are people that are wise. I joke with this often, and this kind of illustrates some of the way that, sadly, we often think college students and 40-year-old men alike, we think this way. It's a lot like the way I joke with, uh, when I say this, I say, y'all know where 13-year-old girls get their dating advice from? It's from other 13-year-old girls, okay? And the point I'm trying to say is, is this, is that, we actually need skilled and wise people in our lives to instruct us. So do you have that? Do you have a community where you're being taught and instructed in? Do you have mentors in your life? Verse 1 would tell us, if you receive my words, there's a, there's a transitioning of information here. Verse also, it assumes that you will apply what you know. Now, this is a big one. It assumes that you'll apply what you actually know. The knowledge of God spoken in, in verse 12, did you catch that? He said, delivering you... Delivering you uh, the way of... Oh, sorry, that's not where it is. Uh, it's actually... Da, 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 sorry, I'm scanning it. Yeah, verse 5. And you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That knowledge of God is knowledge that has, has to be worked out into practice. I mentioned this last week, and I want to say this really, really carefully. For Proverbs to know something isn't merely cognitive. So, for example, let's say this. That I know that I should be forgiving to my roommates when they ask for forgiveness. Great, you say that you know it. But if you never do it, what do you think Proverbs is going to say about your knowledge and skill in forgiving your roommates? What do you think it's going to say? You don't know it. Because you don't do it. That's what it's actually trying to get. That knowledge is incredibly practical in this sense. And this, by the way, is why Christians so desperately need the Spirit's help in all of our lives. We all live inconsistently, don't we? We say things out of one side of the mouth, 
then we go and live lives that are absolutely inconsistent with what we say to be true. And what this is trying to get us to see is that we need wisdom to merge that gap. The last thing I want to say application-wise is that most of the time, your gaining of wisdom, this is big, will go against how you feel. Y'all know what I mean by that? I alluded to it earlier. And in that sense, the gaining of wisdom is going to feel very inauthentic to you because you don't... (laughs) Because you'll need to do what doesn't feel natural. So, so you follow? The gaining of wisdom is often going to feel inauthentic because you're going to want to do the thing that you don't want to do. And in so doing, it will feel inauthentic. Does that make sense? And so what this is saying is, is that, for example, let's say some of you struggle with your laziness. Okay? I Heaven forbid, that, I'm sure that never happens in a group of college students, right? No procrastination or anything. But when the paper needs to get written... What feels natural? To do nothing? To binge watch Stranger Things? I don't know. Uh, In fact, actually, to sit down and write the paper, what? Goes against every fiber of your being. Okay? It does not feel natural. But because you've got wisdom and you've considered the path of not doing the paper and what that ends in, an F, okay? or doing it last minute, a C, or doing it poorly, yeah, maybe a D, you begin to do your work on time. And when you do it, here it is, you are at the same time both using wisdom and becoming wise. And I think that's the point that I'm trying to make. So in sum, wisdom is paradoxically a gift that must, must be sought for, it looked for. It's never bought, it's always sought. And if you want to become wise, you'll need to lastly see what wisdom promises. And I think this is where the real hope of the passage begins to emerge and come out. The real hope of the passage for wisdom promises. Look what the writer says. He has made explicit what the benefits of wisdom are, beginning in verses 9 and following. When you get wisdom, once you have it, your life begins to flourish. By and large, it goes well with you. Perfectly No, for we still live in a broken world. Here's what I want you to see. Did you catch it there? It shows us a couple of things. And if you get wisdom, then you'll understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path and so forth. Here's what I love about uh, what the the now passed away Derek Kidner. he's He's a writer. He says this. I love this. He says, Proverbs gets us to compare the now of an act with its afterwards. Does that make sense? What he's saying is, is that the Proverbs help us to see, if I choose this path or this way, this is how my life is going to go. The Proverbs help us to see the now of an act with its afterwards. And I love that because, put it like this, this is my language, the Proverbs are off always forecasting for us the consequences of our actions. And given this, wisdom gets to work. One path is one way, another way is this way. That's what it's trying to show us. Wisdom gives us the ability to discern the multiple paths of life. And the fruit of that is the promise we speak of here. What are those fruits? Look with me. Ready? Look with me in these verses, verse 9 and 10. You will understand righteousness, justice, and equity. Why might this be important? Don't we all know deep down that these things really matter in our world? And we long to see it fleshed out. That is justice and righteousness and equity. Like, look, we know it's not good 
when the poor are oppressed. Did y'all hear the news today at about 11.30 this morning? Dr. Nasser, the doctor from the uh, Olympics gymnastics team, what, was ha- what happened? He was convicted to, from, I think it was 75 to about 150 years of prison. Why? Because he sexually assaulted over 150 young women. I don't want to live in a world where that exists. Do you? I want a world filled with righteousness and justice and equity where that doesn't happen to our young girls. The Bible is saying there's no way to get there unless you have wisdom. And the fruit of it is being able to discern that. What else does it show us? Wisdom also, and this is a key one, it protects us from the way of evil, from walking along the paths of destruction in the world. Verse 16 and following, it protects us, it it gives us the ability to see the paths of sexual uh, integrity being compromised. And that's a really, really good thing to keep intact. Ask those families, families like my own, that have been ripped apart because of an affair. Like I'm telling you, sexual integrity is actually a really, really good thing that makes life flourish. The Bible is saying it can't happen without wisdom. I love what my old seminary professor writes. He says this. We might say it in short. With wisdom, we are able to form our priorities and govern our actions in light of what's best in view of the moral realities of the universe. Boy, let that sink in. Wisdom is a guard to us. It protects us if we will but seek it out and use it. Let me give you an illustration of how this works in our age, and then I'll begin to close. Um, I, remember, I can remember times in my own life where I really believe this, that I'm the sort of person that's just going to tell you how I feel. If they don't like it, then that's on them. It doesn't matter if the speech or gracious is kind. I'm just going to tell them what's up. Anybody else like that? You might not want to raise your hand. Okay, okay great. Okay, here it is. Like, here, here's why. Um, our culture looks at that and says, powerful, bold, mic drop. Um, you go, girl. Okay, whatever it is. <laughs> but here's what Proverbs 29.11 calls it. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. But a wise man quietly holds it back. So, in what ways would wisdom protect you? Well, going back to what we said earlier, the Proverbs helps us to see the afterwards of an act. We might say, hey, if I just let this person know how I feel, I'll be a fool. Why? Because harsh fool words have a way of tearing relationships apart, even just a little. And well, I don't want that because I want relationships and I don't want to hurt people. And now if you thought that and then you chose not to spout off, guess what? You're one step away further from a broken relationship. Yay. And in that sense, you've gained wisdom. Wisdom has guarded you. Do you see how it works? That's what the Bible is trying to show us. That wisdom is actually promising us life. It's promising us flourishing. And it's so important that we see it. Here's the point. Wisdom promises us her protection. She will keep us. And if you want to flourish, you'll go after it. And the way you get it is by considering a choice, an event, so on, and using the wisdom that you do have, you ask yourself, what happens as a result of this choice? If I choose this way or if I choose that way, wisdom protects us. Remember, your character will determine the consequences of your life. And your character is being formed 
over and over again at every moment by the decisions or the practices or the habits that you're taking up. How am I having my wanting apparatus change? That's a key question to take away here. How do we drive all this home? One of the things that I want you to see is that when we begin to get to the New Testament, Jesus himself helps us with this. You see, Jesus himself doesn't come and say, I've lived my life. Here is the path. Now walk it. If you do it, you'll get my love and you'll get my acceptance. No, here's what I mean to say. Jesus actually doesn't come and point us to the way. He doesn't go, there's the way. That's how you do it. And I think that lots of us think that way. And this is why this is so critical, this understanding of wisdom as a way. But you've likely not heard it translated that way because he does say this. He says, I am the path. Now, again, you've never heard it that way, I bet. But let me read it to you how it comes in John chapter 14. Jesus is soon to die. And on the eve of his death, he has told his followers that he is going to prepare a place for them. He says, you know where I'm going. And one of his followers, Thomas, clearly doesn't know where he's going. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? You know what Jesus says? Thomas, I am the way. I'm the way. I'm the path. You want to know a life of flourishing? It's bound up in me. Jesus didn't come to show us the way. Jesus himself is the way. I am the one in whom all wisdom is found. I am the one that wisdom's path, paradox, and promise find their fulfillment in. In me, Thomas. In me you'll find life. And the astonishing thing is, is how he became our way. He became our path for wisdom by getting the treatment of fools that verse 22 tells us about. It says this, the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. When Jesus was dying on the cross, he was literally cut off from the father, from God himself. He experienced utter alienation from the one who had always been there with him. He endured all of the torturing and misery and suffering in his cutting off. Why? Why? So that you and me would be welcomed in. So that you and me could be accepted in. Dear friends, that's the great promise of the gospel. That Jesus was given over to a fool's judgment and death. That we might receive the life that wisdom offers. He endured this for you And for me, and on the cross, Jesus brings us to our senses. He makes us wise by reminding us of who we are, our great need, and his great provision for that need. Jesus, as the wisdom of God, is the one in whom all blessings are found, not only for this life, but for the one to come, the one after death. And I want you to see that in him we have the key to life, to true wisdom, for in him... We freely get that skill that we talked about to walk in God's ways in his world. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see and believe these things. Help us to understand what wisdom is trying to point us to. It's trying to point us to life. And where is life found? It's found in Jesus himself, the very wisdom of God. So would you help us to believe this? Would you help us to see this? Would you help us to understand how broken we are and how much we need you. And it's in your name that we pray. 
Amen.